Part two, chapter one of Garcia Moreno by Augustine Berth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Second part: The Anti-Revolutionary Crusade, eighteen fifty-seven to eighteen sixty-nine. Chapter one: The Reawakening of the Nation, eighteen fifty-seven. Whilst Garcia Moreno was preparing himself in exile for the great work which God had destined he should accomplish, his unhappy country was being daily more and more ruined and degraded. Urbina looked upon the church as his greatest enemy, and began by expelling the holy bishop of Guayaquil, and substituting one of his own creatures. Naturally, the Holy See refused to confirm this appointment, and Urbina, thinking that the time was not yet come for an open schism, contented himself with brutally recalling the Marquis de Lorenzana who was his charge d'affaires at rome then began a regular war against priests and clergy both regular and secular the convents were turned into barracks the most frightful scenes took place in the colleges and seminaries all ecclesiastical establishments were secularized the primary schools abolished the university ruined by the fact that the students were allowed to take their degrees without study or examination according to a new law passed by urbina in fact he governed the people of ecuador as slaves or helots whilst the provinces of the interior groaned under his iron rule his two satraps robles and franco terrorized the sea-coast there were daily assassinations of officers judges and even priests the brave general campos fell under their blows robberies murders and crimes of all sorts were the order of the day to fill his empty coffers urbina had invented a new crime which he called florianism Whenever he wanted more money, his organs pretended that a fresh revolutionary movement had been organized by the partisans of Flores, and forced contributions were exacted from the people, nominally to pay for an increase in the army, which, it is needless to add, was never carried out. If anyone resisted, he was thrown into prison, and his goods sold by auction. Lord and master of the country, he tried to sell a portion of it, the islands of Galapagos, to the United States under the plea of their possessing large depots of guano. Fortunately, the islands themselves protested that no guano was to be found there. The contract was broken, and three million piastres lost to Urbina, whose nefarious project was thus made public. People will ask, perhaps, how such a state of things could exist with a constitutional and parliamentary government. It was because both chambers were created by Urbina himself. When the electors ventured to bring forward some honest and conscientious deputy, Urbina instantly invalidated his election, and if any resistance were offered, the autocrat exiled his opponents to Peru, to New Granada, and even to the savage plains of Napo. Neither sex, age, nor rank were spared. Ladies of high birth and even young girls were thrown into prison or confined in convents for political reasons. As for the press, their mission consisted in offering incense to their master, who paid them well. The Democratic declared open war against priests, nobles, and the rich, while the Joven Liberal endeavored to sap the foundations of all social and religious order. When Urbina's presidency was on the point of expiring, some of the more courageous of the citizens started a new paper called El Expectador, in the hopes of vindicating the rights of religion in their country. This brought down upon them the rage of Urbina and of his satellites, and a decree of expulsion against them was instantly decided upon. Old men, soldiers, even generals were dragged out of their beds in the middle of the night and transported to Panama or to the deserts of Napo. Once more silence reigned in Quito, but it was the silence of despair. 
This razia of conservatives took place just before the presidential election, which was accordingly carried in favor of Urbina's favorite general, Robles. In order to secure it, the prisons were momentarily opened, and the unhappy victims restored to liberty. But there was no change in the policy of the government. There was the same persecution of the church, the same profanation of her temples, the same universal bankruptcy, in fact, the reign of evil in all its horrors. At the end of 1856, the friends of Garcia Moreno asked for a safe conduct pass for one who had been so long exiled from his family and country. Robles granted it, thinking therefore to gain the hearts of the people of Quito, and little thinking of the effect of his return. Hardly had Garcia Moreno set foot once more in his native country than every possible honor was heaped upon him. The municipality of Quito appointed him alcade or supreme judge. Then the rectorship of the university, having fallen vacant, he was nominated to this important post, so as to raise public education, which had fallen to the lowest levels. The faculty of sciences existed only in name. It had neither professors nor laboratory nor instruments of any sort. Garcia Moreno presented the university with a magnificent chemical laboratory, which he had brought from Paris for himself, and undertook to teach that almost unknown science. His pupils were amazed at the extent of his knowledge, and in addition to private lessons he gave public lectures, in which he showed the application of the science to agriculture and commerce. But he never lost sight of the great object he had at heart, namely the deliverance of his people, and in May 1857 a fresh election was to be held for the members of Congress. He resolved to re-enter the Senate with some of his old political friends, and to reorganize once more the Conservative Party. For this purpose, he started a new paper, the Union National, in which he pointed out the scandals of the government, and called upon the people at the electoral urns to decide the future of the Republic. The people at last, roused by his impassioned harangues, woke from their long lethargy. The young men especially prepared to struggle with energy for the good cause and for the heroic leader. On the other hand, there was no species of infamy to which the government did not resort to intimidate and coerce the electors. These proceedings were, one by one, mercilessly exposed by the Union National, and at last the day of battle arrived. Government spies were placed at every voting place to watch the electors. Soldiers lined the streets, insulting the citizens and threatening them with the wrath of a certain Colonel Patrick Vivero, who was the terror of the country. At last, some of the young men, of the best families of Quito, determined to place themselves in squadrons before the soldiers and protect the electors by force of arms. There was sharp fighting on both sides, but in the end the government was beaten, and Garcia Moreno, with a considerable number of his political friends, were triumphantly elected. Urbina understood that this defeat was a mortal blow. Henceforth he would have to reckon, not only with the powerful opposition in the chambers, but with a people whose patience was exhausted, and who had found out that their strength lay in union. Four years ago he had laid violent hands on the senator of Guayaquil, and exiled him to Peru. But who would dare arrest the senator of Quito? On September 15, 1857, amidst the frantic cheers of the whole population, Garcia Moreno took his seat, surrounded by his colleagues, each and all determined to free their country from its tyrants. End of Part 2, Chapter 1